All right. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Rejects Book Club, where Constance, a.k.a. me, reads you a chapter a day. Thanks for joining me in nature. The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle. Chapter 11. Prince Lear came home three days after he set out to slay the maiden fancying ogre with the great axe of Duke Alban slung behind him and the ogre's head bumping at his saddle brow. He offered neither prize to the Lady Amalfia, nor did he rush to find her with the monster's blood still brown on his hands. He had made up his mind, as he explained to Molly Grew in the scullery that evening, never more to trouble the Lady Amalfia with his attentions, but to live quietly in the thought of her, serving her ardently until his lonely death, but seeking neither her company, her admiration, or her love. I will be as anonymous as the air she breathes, he said, as invisible as the force that holds her on earth. Thinking about it for a little, he added, I might write a poem for her now and then and slip it under her door or just leave it somewhere for her to chance upon, but I won't ever sign the poem. It's very noble, Molly said. She felt relieved that the prince was given up on his courtship and amused as well and somewhat sad. Girls like poems better and dead dragons and magic swords, she offered. I always did anyway. When I was a girl, the reason I ran off with Cully, but Prince Lear interrupted her, saying firmly, No, do not give me hope. I must learn to live without hope, as my father does, and perhaps we will understand each other at last. He dug into his pockets, and Molly heard paper crackling. Anyway, I've actually written a few poems about it, hope and her, and so on. You might look them over if you wanted to. I'd be very pleased, Molly said. But will you never go out again, then, to fight with knights and ride through rings of fire? The words was meant teasingly, but she found as she spoke that when she would have been a little sorry if it were so. For his adventures had made him much handsomer and taken off a lot of weight and given him, besides, a hint of the musky fragrance that death clings to all heroes. But the but the prince shook his head, looking almost embarrassed. Oh, I suppose I'll keep my hand in, he muttered. But I wouldn't be for the show of it or for her to find out. It's like that at first. But you get in the habit of rescuing people, breaking enchantments, challenging the wicked duke in fair combat. It's hard to give up being a hero once you're used to it. Do you like the first poem? It certainly has a lot of feeling, she said. Can you rhyme bloomed with ruined? It needs a bit of smoothing out, Prince Lear admitted. Miracle is the word I'm worried about. I was wondering about grackle myself. No, the spelling. Is it one R and two L's or the other way around? One R, anyway, I think, Molly said. Smendrick, for the magician had just stooped through the doorway. How many R's are in miracle? Two, he answered warily. It has the same root as mirror. Molly ladled him out a bowl of broth, and he sat down at the table. His eyes were hard and cloudy as jade, and one lid was twitching. I can't do this very much longer, he said slowly. It isn't the horrible place, and it isn't having to be listening to him for all the time. I'm rather good at that. It's the wretched, cheapjack flumery he has me perform for him, hours on end, all night last night. I wouldn't mind if he asked for real magic or even for simple conjuring. 
but it's always with the rings and the goldfish, the cards and the scarves and string, exactly as it was in the Midnight Carnival. I can't do it. How much more? But that was what he wanted for you, Molly protested. If he wanted real magic, he'd keep the old, ma old magician, that Mabruk. Smendrick raised his head and gave her a look that was almost amused. I didn't mean it like that, she said. Besides, it's only for a little while, until we find the way to the Red Bull and the cat told me about. She lowered her voice to a whisper as she spoke this last, and both of them glanced quickly over to Prince Lear, but he was still sitting on a stool in a corner, evidently writing another poem. Gazelle, he murmured, tapping his pen against his lips. Demoiselle, Citadel, Asphodel, Philomel, Parallel. He chose farewell and scribbled rapidly. We will never find the way, Smendrick said very quietly. Even if the cat told the truth, which I doubt, Haggard will make sure we never have time to investigate the skull and the clock. Why do you suppose he piles more work on you every day, if not to keep you from prowling and prying in the great hall? Why do you think he keeps me entertaining him with my carnival tricks? Why do you think he took me as his wizard in the first place? Molly, he knows. I'm sure of it. He knows what she is, though. He doesn't quite believe it yet. But when he does, he'll know what to do. He knows. I see it in his face sometimes. The lift of longing and the crash of loss, Prince Lear said. The bitterness of trumpety, trumpety ass, <laughs> cross, boss, moss. Damn. Smendrick leaned across the table. We can't stay here and wait for him to strike. The only hope we have is to escape at night, by sea, perhaps. If I can lay hold of a boat somewhere, the men-at-arms will look the other way. And the gate, but the others, she cried softly. How can we leave when she has come so far to find the other unicorns? And we know they're here. Yet one small, tender, treacherous part of her was suddenly eager to be convinced of the quest's failure, and she knew it and was angry at Smendrick. Well, what about your magic, she asked. What about your own little search? Are you gonna give up on that too? Will she die in human shape and you live forever? You might as well have let the bull have her then. The magician sank back, his face gone as pale and crumpled as a washerwoman's, a washerwoman's fingers. It doesn't really matter one way or the other, he said, almost to himself. She's no unicorn now but a mortal woman, someone for that lout to sigh over and write poems about. Maybe Haggard won't find her at all. She'll be his daughter, and he'll never know. That's funny. He put the soup aside untasted and leaned his hand onto his head. I couldn't change her back into a unicorn if we did find the others, he said. There's no magic in me. Smendrick, she began. But at that moment, he jumped to his feet and rushed out of the scullery though she had not heard the king summon him. Prince Lear never looked up, but went on drumming meters and sampling rhymes. Molly hung a kettle over the fire for the sentry's tea. I've got it all but the final couplet, Lear said presently. Do you want to hear it now, or would you rather wait? Whichever you like, she said, so he read it then, but she never heard a word of it. Fortunately, the men-at-arms came in before he had finished reading. 
and he was too shy to ask her opinion in their presence. By the time they left, he was working on something else and was very late when he bade her good night. Molly was sitting at the table holding her motley cat. The new poem was meant to be a sestina, and Prince Lear's head was jangling happily as he juggled the end words on his way up the stairs to his chamber. I will leave the first one at her door, he thought, and save the others until tomorrow. He was debating his originalist decision against signing his work and playing with such pen names as The Knight of the Shadows and Le Cavalier Lame. Then he turned a corner and met Lady Amalthea. She was coming down quickly in the dark, and when she saw him, she made a strange bleeding sound and stood still, three steps above him. She wore a robe that one of the king's men had stolen for her in Hagsgate, and her hair was down, her feet were bare, and the sight of her on the stair sent such sorrow licking along Prince Lear's bones that he dropped his poems and his, her pre, that he dropped his poems and pretenses altogether, and actually turned to run. But he was a hero in all ways, and he and he turned bravely back to face her, saying in a calm and courtly manner, "Give you good evening, my lady." The lady Amalthea stared at him through the gloom, putting out a hand but drawing it back before she touched him. "Who are you?" she whispered. "Are you Rook?" "I'm Lear," he answered, suddenly frightened. Don't you know me? But she backed away, and it seemed to the prince that her steps were as flowing as an animal's, and that she even lowered her head in the way of a goat or a deer. He said, I'm Lear. The old woman, said the Lady Amalthea. The moon went out. Ugh. She, sh she shivered once, and then her eyes recognized him. But all her body was still wild and watchful, and she came no nearer to him. You were dreaming, my lady, he said, finding nightly speech again. I would that I might know your dream. I've dreamed it before, she answered slowly. I was in a cage, and there were others, beasts in cage, and an old woman. But I will not trouble you, my, my lord prince. I've dreamed it many times before. She would have left him then, but he spoke to her in a voice that only heroes have, as many animals develop a certain call when they become mothers. A dream that returns so often is likely to be a messenger, come to warn you of the future or remind you of things untimely forgotten. Say no more of this, if you will, and I'll try to riddle it for you. Thereupon she halted, looking at him with her head and turned a little bit, still with the air of some slim, furry creature peering out of the thicket. But her eyes held a human look of loss, as though she had missed something she needed or suddenly realized that she never had it. If he had even blinked, she would have been gone, but he didn't blink. And he held her as he had learned to hold griffins and chimeras motionless with a steady gaze. Her bare feet wounded him deeper than any tusk or writhing talon ever had. But he was a true hero. The Lady Amalthea said, In the dream there are laid black barred wagons and beasts that are not and are, and winged being that clangs like a metal in the moonlight. The tall man has green eyes and bloody hands. The tall man must be your uncle, the magician, Prince Lear mused. That part's clear enough, anyway. And the bloody hands don't surprise me. I never cared much for his looks, if you're pardon me saying so. Is that all the dream? 
I cannot tell you all of it, she said. It's never finished. Fear came back to her eyes, like a great stone falling into a pool. All was clouded and swirling, and quick shadows were rushing everywhere. She said, I'm running away from a good place where I was safe, and the night is burning around me, but the day is too. And I'm walking under beech trees in the warm, sour rain, and there, there are butterflies and a honey sound and dappled roads and towns like fish bones, and the flying thing is killing the old woman. I'm running and running into the freezing fire. However, I turn, and my legs, my legs are the legs of a beast. Lady, Prince Lear broke in. My lady, by your leave, no more. Her dream was darkening into shape between them, and suddenly he did not want to know what it meant. No more, he said. But I must go on, said the Lady Amalthea. For it's never finished. Even when I wake, I cannot tell what is real and what am I dreaming as I move and speak and eat my dinner. I remember what cannot have happened and I forget something that is happening to me now. People look at me, though I should know them and I don't know them in the dream. And always the fire draws nearer, though I'm awake. No more, he said desperately. A witch built this castle and to speak of nightmares here often makes them come true. It was not her dream that chilled him, but that she did not weep as she told it. As a hero, he understood weeping women and knew how to make them stop crying. Generally, you killed something. But her calm terror confused and unmanned him, while the shape of her face crumbled the distant dignity that he had been so pleased at maintaining. When he spoke again, his voice was young and stumbling. I would court you with more grace, he said, if I knew how. My dragons and my feats of arms weary you, but they're all I have to offer. I haven't been a hero for very long, and before I was a hero, I was nothing at all. Nothing but my father's dull, soft son. Perhaps I'm only dull in a new way now, but I'm here, and it's wrong of you to let me go waste. I wish you wanted something of me. It wouldn't have been a valiant deed, just useful. Then the Lady Amalthea smiled at him for the first time since she had come to stay at King Haggard's castle. It was a small smile, like the new moon, a slender bend of brightness on the edge of the unseen. But Prince Lear leaned towards to be warm. He would have cupped his hands around her smile and breathed it brighter if he had dared. Sing to me, she said. That would be valiant. To raise your voice in this dark, lonely place, and it will be useful as well. Sing to me, sing loudly. Drown out my dreams. Keep me from remembering whatever wants me to remember it. Sing to me, my prince. If it is, I please you. It may not seem a hero's task, but I'd be glad of it. So Prince Lear sang out lustily there on the cold stairway. <laughs> Such a long song. And many damp, Unseen creatures went flopping and scurrying for cover before the daylight gate of his voice. He sang the first words that came to him, and they were these. When I was a young man and very well thought of, I couldn't ask aught what the ladies denied. I nibbled their hearts like a handful of raisins, and I never spoke love, but I knew that I lied. But I said to myself, ah, they none of them know. 
the secret I shelter and savor and save. I'll wait for the one who will see through my seeming, and I'll know when I love by the way I behave. The years drifted over like clouds in the heavens. The ladies went by me like snow on the wind. I charmed and I cheated, deceived and dissembled. And I sinned and I sinned and I sinned and I sinned. But I said to myself, ah, they none of them see. But there's part of me pure as the whisk of the wave. My lady is late, but she'll find I've been faithful. And I know when I love by the way I behave. At last came a lady, both knowing and tender, saying, you're not at all what they take you to be. I betrayed her before she had quite finished speaking. And she swallowed cold poison and jumped in the sea. And I say to myself, when there's time for a word, as I gracefully grow more debauched and depraved, I love baby strong, but a habit is stronger. And I knew when I loved by the way I behaved. The Lady Amalfi laughed and he was done. And that sound seemed to set the old, odd darkness of the castle hissing back from the both of them. That was useful, she said. Thank you, my lord. I don't know why I sang that one, Prince Lear said awkwardly. One of my father's men used to sing it to me. I don't really believe it. I think that love is stronger than habits or circumstances. I think that it's possible to keep yourself from someone for a long time and still remember why you were waiting when she came at last. The Lady Amalthea smiled again, but she did not answer, and the prince took a single step closer to her. Marveling at his own boldness, he said softly, I would enter your sleep if I could, and guard you there, and slay the thing that hounds you, as I would if I had the courage to face me in the fair daylight. But I cannot come in unless you dream of me. Before she could speak, if she meant to, they heard footsteps below them on the winding stair and King Haggard's veiled voice saying, I heard him singing. What business had he to be singing? Then, Smendrick, the royal wizard, in his own voice meek and hurried, Sire, it was but some heroic lay, some chanson de geste, such as he often sings when he rides out to glory or rides home to renown, be assured, your majesty. He never sings here, the king said. He sings continuously on his fool's wanderings, I'm sure, because that is what heroes do. But, He's not singing here, and not of battle and gallantry either, but of love? Where is she? I knew he was singing to love before I even heard him, for the very stones shuddered as they do when the bull moves in the earth. Where is she? The prince and the lady Amalthea looked at each other in the darkness, and in the moment they were side by side, though neither moved. With this came fear from the king of whatever had been born between them. It might be something he wanted. A landing above them gaped into a corridor. They turned and ran together, though they could not see beyond their breaths. Her feet were as silent as the promises she had given him, but his own heavy boots rang exactly like boots on the stone floor. King Haggard made no pursuit, but his voice rustled down the hallway after them, whispering under the magician's words. Mice, my lord, beyond a doubt, Fortunately, I am in possession of a singular spell. Let them run, the king said. It suits me well that they should run. When they stopped running, wherever they stopped, 
they looked at each other again. So the winter whined and crept along, not towards the spring, but towards the brief, devouring summer of King Haggard's country. Life in the castle went on in the silence that fills a place where no one hopes for anything. Molly grew cooked and laundered, scrubbed stone, mended armor and sharpened swords. She chopped wood, milled flour, groomed horses and cleaned their stalls, melted down stolen gold and silver for the king's coffers, and made bricks without straw. And in the evenings before she went to bed, she usually read over Prince Lear's new poems to the Lady Amalthea and praised them and corrected the spelling. Smendrick fooled and juggled and flimflammed as the kings bade him, hating it, and knowing that Haggard knew he hated it and took pleasure in this thereby. He never again suggested to Molly that they escape this castle before Haggard made sure of the truth of the Lady of Malthia. But he no longer sought to discover the secret way down to the Red Bull, even when he was allowed to take time himself. He seemed to have surrendered, not to the king, but to some something far older, crueler enemy that had caught up with him at last. This winter in this place. The Lady Amalthea grew as much more beautiful every day as that day was grimmer and gloomier than the day before. The old men-at-arms, coming down drenched and shivering from walking their post in the rain, or in from stealing things for the king, opened as quietly as flowers when they met her on the stairs in the hallways. She would smile at them and speak gently, but when she would pass by, the castle always seemed darker than ever, and the wind outside would rattle the thick sky like a sheet on a clothesline. For her beauty was human and doomed, and there was no comfort in it for old men. They could only draw their dripping cloaks tighter and limp down the small fire in the scullery. But the Lady Amalthea and the Prince Lear walked and spoke and sang together as blithely as though King Hagger's castle had become a green wood, wild and shadowy with spring. They climbed the crooked towers like hills, picnic in stone meadows under a stone sky, and splashed up and down stairways that it softened and become quickened into streams. He told her everything he knew and what he thought about it all, and happily invented a life and opinions for her, opinions for her, which she helped him to do by listening. Nor was she deceiving him, for she truly remembered nothing before the castle and him. She began and ended with Prince Lear, except for the dreams, and they soon faded, as he had said they would. They seldom heard the hunting roar of the red bull at night anymore. But when the hungering sound came to her ears, then she might be frightened, and the walls in the winter would grow up and around them again, as though the spring were all of her making, her joy's gift to the prince. He would have held her at such times, but he had long known her dread of being touched. One afternoon, the Lady Amalthea stood on the highest tower of the castle, watching for Prince Lear's return from an expedition against a brother-in-law of the ogre he'd slain, for he still went out on the occasional errantries, as he had told Molly he might. The sky was piled up high over the valley of Hagsgate, and it was the color of dirty soap, but it wasn't raining. Far below, the sea slid out towards the smoky horizon in hard bands of silver and green and kelpie brown. The ugly birds were restless. They flew out often, two and three at a time, circled swiftly over the water, and then returned to strut on the sand, chortling and cocking their heads at King Haggard's castle on the cliff. Said so, said so. The tide was low and near to turning. The Lady Amalthea began to sing, 
and her voice balanced and hovered in the cold air like another sort of bird. I am king's daughter, and I grow within the prison of my person, the shackles of my skin, and I run away and back from door to door. She did not remember having heard this song before, but the words pinched and plucked at her like children, trying to drag her back from some place that they wanted to see again. She moved her shoulders to get away from them. But I'm not old, she said to herself, and I'm no prisoner. I am the Lady Amalthea, beloved of Lear, who was coming to my dreams so much that I not doubt myself even while I sleep. Where could I have learned such a song of sorrow? I'm the Lady Amalthea, and I know only the songs that Prince Lear has taught me. She lifted a hand to touch the mark on her forehead. The sea wheeled by, calm as the zodiac, and the ugly birds screamed it. It troubled her a little that the mark would not go away. Your Majesty, she said. There had been no sound. She heard the rustling chuckling at her back and turned to see the king. He wore a gray cloak over his mail, but his head was bare. The black lines on his face showed where the fingernails of age had skidded down the hard skin, but he looked stronger than his son and wider. You're quick for what you are, he said, but slow, I think for what you were. It is said that love makes men swift and women slow. I will catch you at last if you love me much more. She smiled at him without replying. She never knew what to say to the pale-eyed old man whom she saw so rarely, except as a movement on the edge of the solitude that she shared with Prince Lear. Then, armor winked deep in the valley, and she heard the scrape of weary horse stumbling on stone. Your son is coming home, she said. Let us watch him together. King Haggard came slowly to stand beside her at the parapet, but he gave no more than a glance to the tiny, glinting figure riding home. Nay, what concern have I or you with Lear, truly, he asked. He's none of mine. Either by birth or belonging, I picked him up where someone else had set him down, thinking that I had never been happy and never had a son. It was pleasant enough at first, but it died quickly. All things die when I pick them up. I do not know why they die, but it's always been so, save for the one dear possession that has not turned cold and dull as I regarded it. The only thing that has ever belonged to me. His grim face gave the sudden starved leap of a sprung trap. And Lear will be no help to you in finding it, he said. He's never even known what it is. Without warning, the whole castle sang like a plucked string as the beast asleep at the root shifted his dire weight. The Lady Amalthea caught her balance easily, being well used to this, and said lightly, The Red Bull? <laughs> Why do you think I've come to steal the Red Bull? I have no kingdom to keep, no wish for conquest. What would I do with him? How much does he eat? Do not mock me, the king said. The Red Bull is no more mine than the boy is, and he does not eat, and he cannot be stolen. He serves anyone who has no fear, and I have no fear, no more fear than I have rest. Yet the Lady Amalthea saw forebodings all over the long gray face, scuttling in the shadows of brows and bones. Do not mock me, he said. Why will you play that you've forgotten your quest, and that I am to remind you of it? 
I know what you came here for, and you know very well that I have it. Take it, then. Take it if you can, but do not dare surrender now. The black wrinkles were all on edge like knives. Prince Lear was singing as he rode, though the Lady Amalthea could not yet hear the words. She said quietly to the king, My lord, in all your castle, in all your realm, in all the kingdoms that the Red Bull may bring you, there is only one thing I desire, and you have just told me that he's not yours to give or to keep. Whatever it is you treasure that is not he, I truly wish you joy of it. Good day, your majesty. She moved towards the tower stairway, but he stood in her way and she paused, looking at him with her eyes dark as hoofprints in snow. The great king smiled, and a strange kindness for him chilled her for an instant. For suddenly, she fancied that they were somehow alike. But then, he said, I know you. I almost knew you as soon as I saw you on the road, coming to my door with your crook and your cook, coming to my door with your cook and your clown. Since then, there is no movement of yours that have not betrayed you. A glance, a pace, a turn of the head, the flash of your throat as you breathe, even your way of standing perfectly still. They were all my spies. You have made me wonder for a little while, and in my own way, I am grateful, but your time is done. He looked seaward over his shoulder and suddenly stepped to the parapet with the thoughtless grace of a young man. The tide is turning, he said. Come see it. Come here. He spoke very softly, but his voice suddenly held the crying of the ugly birds on the shore. Come here, he said fiercely. Come here. I won't touch you. Prince Lear sang, I will love you as long as I can, however long it may be. That horrible head on the saddle was harmonizing in a kind of bass falsetto. The Lady Amalthea went to stand with the king. The waves were coming in under the thick, swirling sky, growing as slowly as trees as they bulged across the sea. They crouched as they neared the shore, arching their backs higher and higher and then sprang up the beach as furiously as trapped animals, bounding at a wall and falling back with a sobbing snarl to leap again and again. Claws caked and breaking, while the ugly birds yelled mournfully. The waves were gray and green as pigeons until they broke, and then they were the color of the hair that blew across her eyes. There, a strange high voice said close to her, there they are. The king, was the king Haggard was grinning at her and pointing down to the white water. There they are, he said, laughing like a frightened child. There they are. You say that they are not your people. You say that you didn't come looking for them. Say now that you stayed all winter in my castle for love. He could not wait for her answer, but he turned away to look at the waves. His face was changed beyond believing, delight coloring the somber skin rounding over the cheekbones and loosening the bowstring mouth. They are mine, he said softly. They belong to me. The Red Bull gathered them for me, one at a time, and I bade him drive each one into the sea. What a better place could there be to keep unicorns? And what other cage could hold them? For the Red Bull keeps them guard, awake or asleep. And he daunted their hearts long ago. Now they live in the sea and every tide still carries them within an easy step of the land, but they dare not take that step. They dare not come out of the water. They're afraid of the Red Bull. Nearby, Prince Lear sang, Others may offer you more than they give, and 
All that they have as long as they live. The Lady Amalthea closed her hands on the parapet and wished for him to come to her, for she knew now that King Haggard was mad. Below them lay the thin, sallow beach and the rocks and the rising tide, nothing more. I like to watch them. They fill me with joy. The childish voice was all but singing. I'm sure it is joy. For the first time, I felt it. I thought I was going to die. There were two of them in the early morning shadows. One was drinking from a stream. The other was resting her head on his back. I thought I was going to die. I said to the Red Bull, I must have that. I must have it all, all there is, for my need is very great. So the bull caught them one by one. It was all the same to the bull. It would have been the same if I had demanded tumblebugs or crocodiles. He can only tell the difference between what I want and what I do not want. He had forgotten for her in the moment as he leaned over the low wall, and she might have fled the tower then, but she stayed where she was, for an old bad dream was waking all around her, though it was daylight. The tide shattered on the rocks and tumbled together again, and Prince Lear rode along singing. But I will love you as long as I can, and never ask if you love me. I suppose I was young when I first saw them, King Hagger said. Now I must be old. At least I picked many more things up than that, and put them all down again. But I always knew that nothing was worth the investment of my heart, because nothing lasts, and I was right. And so, I was always old. Yet, each time I see my unicorns, it's like that morning in the woods, and I'm truly young in spite of myself, and anything can happen in the world that holds such beauty. In the dream, I looked down at four white legs and fell under the earth of under-split hoofs. There was a burning on my brow, as there is now, but there were no unicorns coming under the tide. The king's mad. He said, I wonder what will become of them when I'm gone. The Red Bull will forget them immediately, I know, and be off to find a new master. But I wonder, will they take their freedom even then? I hope not, for then they'll belong to me forever. Then he turned to her and looked at her, and his eyes were as gentle and greedy as Prince Lear's eyes became when he looked at her. You are the last, he said. The Bull missed you because you were the shape of a woman, but I always knew. How did you manage the change, by the way? Your magician couldn't have done it. I don't think he can turn cream into butter. If she had let go of the parapet, she would have fallen, but she answered him quite calmly. My lord, I do not, under I do not understand. I see nothing at all in the water. The king's face shivered as though she was looking at him through fire. Do you still deny yourself? He whispered. Do you dare deny yourself? Nay. This is false and cowardly as though you are truly human. I'll hurl you down to your folk with my own hands if you deny yourself. He took a step towards her, and she watched him with her eyes open, unable to move. The turmoil of the sea filled her, heart, her head, together with Prince Lear's singing, and the blubbering death wall of the man named Ruck. King Haggard's gray face hung over like a hammer, muttering, It must be so. I cannot be mistaken. Yet her eyes are as stupid as his as any eyes that never saw a unicorn, never saw anything but themselves in a glass. What cheat is this? How can this be? There are no green leaves in your eyes now. Then she did close her eyes, but she shut in more than she kept out. 
The bronze-winged creature with the hag's face swung by, laughing and prattling, and the butterfly folded its wings to strike. The red bull moved silently through the forest, pushing the bare branches aside with his pale horns. She knew when King Hagger went away, but she did not open her, not her eyes. It was long after, or only after a little while, that she heard the magician's voice behind her. Be still, be still, it's over. She had not known what she was making any sound. In the sea, he said, in the sea. Well, don't feel bad about it. I didn't see them either. Not this time or any other that I've stood here and watched the tide coming in. But he saw them. And if Haggard sees something, it's there. He laughed with a sound like an axe falling on wood. Don't feel bad. This is a witch castle. And it's hard to look closely at things living here. It's not enough to be ready to see. You have to be looking all the time. He laughed again, more gently. All right, he said. We'll find them now. Come on, come with me. She turned to him, moving her mouth to make words, but no words came out. The magician was studying her face with his green eyes. Your face is wet, he said worriedly. I hope that's spray. If you become human enough to cry, then no magic in the world. Oh, it must be spray. Come with me. It better be spray. Bam, bam. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Uh... Subscribe, leave a review, tell a friend. I love you. Thanks for joining me. See you tomorrow. <laughs>